I think you already answered one of the questions I was going to ask is what made you want to dig into your family history in the first place? But, um, mm -hmm. but that's, you know, you discover this document or this binder, uh, your, your mother, I think produced and showed yeah, you. Yeah. Well, that, they're threads, right? So I mentioned, okay. uh, I found, found binder of family history. Uh, I mentioned, um, well, th this, what initially got me into it? Okay, so was that there was the disconnection with family? Well, that was because of the binder, um, and you know I'm a history person in general. I was mm -hmm. always, and I was always into biographies, and I was I like followed the Kennedys because we were named after Kennedys. I'm Edward Kennedy. My brother's John. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. Wow. That's... We were named. Yeah, we're named the Kennedys. So the family stuff. My dad's favorite movie is Godfather. So it's sort of mine is. It's a family legacy thing, right? So uh -huh. it's always in my DNA. Um, I will tell you that this this that kind of is what trended me in that direction because prior to that I didn't have any artifacts, right? And so it's kind of like you know I'll just ask people, I'll do video recordings of stories. But when I had this Rosetta Stone, it's like I found Chuchta Common's tomb. <laughs> So I super got into Egyptology all of a sudden, right? Because I had this like, you know, crazy relics, right? Um, yeah, I mean, so I got super into it that way. But, you know, what what keeps me in it is is interesting. It's like, um, so th this is this is why Ancestry is so fascinating to me and actually might shape my future work stuff that I'm doing, uh, even per, like my core thing, but certainly uh, uh, my, my side passions, right? So in, in talking to my first cousin, now that's the only part of the family I ever knew. Uh, it's my dad's sister's kids. They're my mm -hmm. first cousins, right? We're about the same age. And I was talking to my cousin Misty and we were talking about my great grand, my grandfather that we shared, the paternal grandfather that went to MIT and, and stuff. And, you know, she's about six years older than me. And all I remember about my grandfather, Roy, is he used to be, you know, he had this little kind of voice and he, when I do something good, he'd pat me on the head and go, attaboy, attaboy, right? That's all I remember really of him. Like he was too young, right? But she kept talking about, yeah, Grandpa Warwick was such a character. He's such a dry wit and he was so sarcastic and he would always use that. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, he was so fun. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know him in that way. And then I thought, you know, like, I wish... I wish I did know him that way. Like, mm -hmm. because all these photos and timelines and stuff don't reveal that part of somebody, you know? And, and I just missed it. And, you know, I just kept thinking, you know, ancestry has had a progression, right? Like originally it's just storytelling. Mm -hmm. Someone remembers some great person, Alexander the Great or something, if you're related and then tell stories about that. And then, and then it became stories with maybe a painting you know, mm -hmm. maybe there's some some visuals attached to it. And then it became like, you know, it became word words, written word with images. And then it became like it took a next level up with photography and recorded voices and stuff like that. And now we're on video, right? So historically, ancestry still is like the org chart that I showed you, just names and whatever. Maybe we're gonna attaching pictures to it now. Uh, now we have video, right? I, I've done uh, recordings of family histories by these people, including my grandfather, right? I have mm. him talking about his life. But all of this is still- The, the grandfather that recently passed away or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, but like, I, 
this is all one one way communication still. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever seen Black Mirror and Netflix, where this person interacted with a, like a dead girlfriend through chat history, like, uh, you, yeah, you know, that thing, I, I actually haven't even seen this episode. What if there's a way I could interact with my grandfather, even after he's dead in the way that that replicated the way my 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 cousin did. Uh -huh. you know? And it just fascinates me because we're kind of in the on the cusp of that, like, yeah. you know, because as much as pictures and videos are great, they're important, but like truly a person is merely their instincts, ultimately, you know, and, you know, ultimately it, it's kind of like, you know, a person who has an arm and like cut off is still the person because you're interacting with them. But the moment they get Alzheimer's or dementia, they stop yeah. being the person. So you're really kind of your instincts. And so like, what is it? There's a way to kind of interact with that person, that relative. Uh, you know, maybe simply through chat or maybe even like a true, like full experience like this, like JJ right now, I'm what if sure. I told you I had died like 10 years ago and you're just interacting with a simulation? Yeah, that would blow my mind. But why, we're on the cusp of that now. I, I, mean, I know we absolutely yeah. are actually. Yeah. 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 And so I, I just say to say this is ancestry for me is not just this passing hobby or a bind, found binder I, I had in a grandma's house. Uh, it really speaks to like the largest questions about what what do we do in life and what's the purpose and legacy and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so for me right now, I'm focusing on my family. I want to try to write a screenplay about my grandmother's life, and we should, maybe we should talk about that because it's stunning. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, and uh, collecting as many artifacts and stories from relatives who are still coherent and alive because I want to get them now. You know, and simultaneously, I'm thinking about how do I record my life maybe as a taste study for like interacting, yeah. having having my cousins or children interact with me, just just because it's fun. Why not? Why not try it? You know, it, it, um, Google's got all this information already, right? So it doesn't <laughs> save somewhere. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And so uh, I'm I'm really intrigued by this because my 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 sort of career, if I were to summarize it right now, is like it's how technology impacts uh, learning and work, mm -hmm. the, the future of it, especially or or the present. And um, this is not really work, but it's 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 more important. This is just your livelihood, you know, family. So it is um, because it's also um, well not just preservation of family history, but history and also culture. And there's there's so many different, you know, mm -hmm. places where something like this would impact. Um, yep. yeah. 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 So anyway, um, to answer your question, I came to New York and, oh no, <laughs> I, I started Ancestry uh, because of those particular moments, but I was also primed because I am a historian. I love family narratives. Uh, um, they're, they're just the most compelling media for me, like even in a movie context or whatever, mm -hmm. I just eat up biopics. I just love yeah. them, you know? Yeah, me uh, too. I, yeah. I love biographies and yeah. Yeah. And just, so. yeah. Um, um, actually, yeah, several years ago, I don't know how many years ago, uh, it was definitely more than 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I started, um, uh, I I decided to interview my mother. <laughs> sure. To like um, get her history. Actually, it first started out with me 
uh, suggesting to her that, hey, I think you should write, you know, a journal, mm -hmm. uh, write your biography. And, uh, and, you know, I think I got her a notebook and all that. And um, at, at first she thought it was a good idea, but then she doesn't like writing. So it never went anywhere. Then I decided, okay, maybe I should just interview her. And so I actually uh, recently uh, found where I stored those uh, recordings. Mm. Um, I did three interviews and then for some reason I kind of stopped, I don't know why. And then uh, during the pandemic, I threw out the idea to my sisters, hey, we should, you know, all get on video calls with our mother and talk to her about our life so that we could capture it on video and then maybe I'll transcribe it and, and do something. But um, that didn't go anywhere. So I'm like, I'm trying to pursue this for my own family too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but it's, it's, it's not that easy. Um, I think you have to like keep going at it. Um, yeah, there's definitely people who are not interested in this at all. You know, it's, it's yeah. I assume, oh God, wouldn't this be interesting? It's family, it's your history. And there's some people that are just not, it's not into, they're not into it. So yeah. I, Cause like, how, how well do you really know your family members and their history? Like, like, you know, until I actually started interviewing my mother, like I didn't know all those things about her childhood and, and, uh, and all that. I think I got up to the point where like, uh, in her life where she met my, uh, father, like how the two of them met. I think that's as far as I went. Uh, with yeah. Interviews. I, I mean, I know the headline stuff of my family, like, we're talking certainly my grandmother's 10 siblings and then their children. Yeah. I know most of them pretty well. I could talk to them about where they live, what school they went to, all that. I've been getting more into the subtle stuff. Like, you know, it, it's kind of the context is more interesting to me now. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's, it's, it's like, um, have you ever seen, um, Sometimes on YouTube, they have these old TV shows from the 80s, like Cosby Show or Family Show, and they show the full episode, but sometimes they show it with the commercials. You're seeing them? The commercials no, are the, Oh, really? yeah, the commercials. There's full episodes with commercials. And you look at these commercials like, what the hell? It's like, tang, you know, where's the beef? It's like, you know, yeah. we, we like it, 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 it shows up as issues. There, there was one about, you know, uh, the nuclear threat and communism was built into it. I'm like, Oh my God, I, I remember watching this, but this is not my context anymore. Like I'm into those details now of family. So I'm, yeah. I'm talking to my dad, or I was talking to uh, other family members about, tell me the smell of like your commute when you went to that, that job. What kind of car we're driving? How was the wow. gasoline lines? Uh, you know, and then they bring up these details I'd even thought about. Yeah, in the 70s, there were lines for gasoline. Sure, so, yeah. I, yeah I was like, oh, it took me a long time. And because why? It's like, oh, because we had to get in line for gasoline in the morning. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, well, there was a gas crisis. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, you, you can run out of gasoline? Oh, yeah. And then, you know, you had to warm up the car in the morning. Uh, I, in LA, it's not as it's an issue now. I mean, New York, you still do it. But, you know, in LA, it's not that cold. But you have to leave the car running in the morning for a while or else you can't drive off. And so I would, I would sometimes do that for my dad. I would he'd give me the keys. I'd start the car, keep mm -hmm. it in, in park and just let the car run. And I was so thrilled because it was the closest thing I had to like driving a car. You know, those things you don't get at the high level. You just don't. Yeah. You know, like he went to school here. He was a, went to Manchuria. He did, you know, that, but, but I was able to get some of that detail from my aunts about my family in Manchuria about, you know, 
these little things, these little quirks, like, like, you know, on the boat ride back, they took the last boat from, from Manchuria to Japan in 1947. And it was all like the, the last people and they all lived together for a year and a half. It was a year and a half after the war. And they, my, my aunt told me about a ruckus on the deck above in the boat. And she said, they found out later, there was a fight between the Japanese exiles, right? Who are now coming back to Japan because there was a person, there's a group there who were apparently pro-communist Japanese who were constantly hitting up the, 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 the other Japanese to join the communist party. Uh -huh. And if you do that, you'll get fed and this, and it's a better system. And then you're like, what are you doing on this boat back to Japan? And they said like, you're a fraud, you scammed us. It was just like this crazy story wow. of these people. Because yeah, they clearly didn't believe in communism. They're doing it to make money. They were doing it to like, you know, and it was like, I love that stuff. It's so amazing, right? It's like, wow, really? How how is that how does that make you money what you said well this is what i think was going on i i have to investigate this further but uh yeah there were so so in the area where there was a lot of japanese people because it was a japanese occupation uh you know they had their own japan set up there a bit um as the war was turning and it was clear that uh everyone wanted to leave or they wanted to surrender to the Americans, but the Americans were very far from there. That was Russians, right? Mm. And Russians were going to treat them pretty badly, right? Yeah. And so they were thinking ahead. And I think some of them, I'm sorry, during the occupation, pro-communist people infiltrated those areas to try to get Japan, uh, Japanese people to be pro-communist because that area was the war. That was the Sino, uh, the, 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 the war for the Manchurian Railroad, right? For the Jap yeah. the Russians wanted the warm port at Port Arthur and the Japanese wanted, I don't know, just the, the zone, right? They wanted the whole area as a yeah. part of the occupation. So um, Russians were very familiar. They wanted to turn Japanese in their favor. They were trying to destabilize the, the unity of the community. And so they they brought in Jap they they turned some Japanese people and with promises of food and whatnot. I think there's some Chinese folks who are also going to be pro-communist. And uh, I think some they they coaxed some people into also being a part of that group in service of you're gonna get some food because they were starving. I mean, they mm. were just like starving. You know, my dad, our family narrative was always about this apple. They had for a stretch only one apple to eat a day, and the four of them would have to cut it equally, and that oh, was wow. their entire food for the day, right? So if you're offering like a bowl of rice or something, oh my God. So they were you're returning people. And I think they were probably, you know, since there was no food anyway, they were probably getting goods for it, right? My grandmother mm -hmm. had to pawn off uh, jewelry and whatever in exchange for food. So I think they were probably getting, you know, resources in exchange for food too, which was not theirs. And, but I think the thing with the Japanese people was it was a lack of integrity it was just like, you were eating well and my family was starving because you were pro-communist and now you're not? Like, what the hell, right? Uh, so, okay. yeah, there was a, there was a I, I don't know, I'm speaking on speculation here, yeah. but all I know is there was a big fight on the boat back that, that my aunt remembers. And so this is more in spirit of the details are really what make this all rich. It's so yes. rich. Yeah. I think it is those little details that sort of bring the story to life. Right. Yeah. Make yeah. it make it real human. I mean, yeah, we, we live those details in our lives, but we don't recall them and can't express them. They just sort of people now who are young just pigeonhole you as a 70s child or an 80s child, you know, and and all the all the uh, 
you know, surfaciness of that when there's such rich detail that if they experience themselves, they would, that, that would make them suddenly relate to you. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm searching for. I, I'm looking for a connection to my relatives. I want to contextualize them in more than these trite ways I understand grandpa and grandma and whatever. Um, I just think it allows me to appreciate them a lot more. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not, that's just just for that i just i just i find that fulfilling i think others don't like they they want to be forward thinking or something and they think looking back looks like why are you doing that i've actually had that from a japanese relative say uh -huh. that and i told them like look um i think everything you do is to try to leave a legacy and even you know you had a kid that's to live forever ancestry is the same thing it's the same longing yeah. you know yeah. you're trying to continue your memory or the memory of your family through this documentation or whatever. So we're doing the same thing. It's just that you're doing it through a traditional mode and I'm doing it through now a more robust digital way that you do. And he was like, oh, that's a good idea. That's cool. That's cool. No, 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 no. He's just a company guy in Japan. He's just like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why? You know, it's, you know so anyway, that, that's, that's why it's a passion for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you are you writing down your own history, your own personal history? Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't want to. That feels a lot of like creating the the sh the, the the folders in your your computer before you created the files. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to organize it. You know, like like part of my journey is this. It's sort of meta. I'm journeying to document stuff, but I'm not doing my own yet. Yeah. Other than. Honestly, just it, you're recording this conversation. That's a, a form of documentation. It right? is actually, yeah. and and you know what? Uh, it's it's funny that you say that because I think that's also part of my motivation for doing this as well. Yeah, uh, is by talking to different people and allowing them to tell their stories, and you know, and also a part of me gets injected in that too, as as I comment and as I yeah, your instincts of, yeah. and everything, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, we can't have Truman Show, right? Where every moment is being recorded. That's a little right. different, difficult. Although in theory, we are being recorded every moment while we're online, <laughs> right? But um, you know, in, in in the meanwhile, like, yeah, I'm not I'm not doing that because I first want to capture folks who are are we're, we're about to lose their recordings, right? We have yeah. no opportunity to, and so I wanted to make sure we get as many of those. I get as many of my families as that, and then. Um, and, you know, there's been actually practical applications. It's been really, I learned about my family's history of, of, of diseases and, pre, and chronic ah, conditions. Interesting. Yeah, we, so first of all, my family all lives pretty long. Like, I don't think any relative has died before 90. Um, we have, we tend to have respiratory issues, but no incidence of cancer or heart, heart conditions. Um, you know, stuff like that. It's like, oh, that's good. You know, there's there's definitely a, a tendency toward Alzheimer's and dementia toward like the late 80s. Mm. Um, so it's been cool. You, you learn some things that are actually applicable. Yeah, yeah. Um, just as um, you were talking, for some reason, I, I forget what it was that you said, but it kind of reminded me of this Japanese artist. Um, I forget, was he in the... 70s or 60s mm -hmm. um and he lived in in the u.s and europe and all over the place but one of the things i went to his exhibit several years ago uh, I, I forget his name but one of the things that was exhibited was uh 
for I forget how many years, but every day he would send a postcard, stamp it with, I woke up at, you know, on this date at this time, and he would send these postcards to his friends. And so in order for that uh, collection to be exhibited, somebody had to curate all those postcards from, you know, from all his friends. And, um, And it was a way of him sort of documenting, I think, his own life. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and, and then that reminded me of a time when I was in high school. Uh, this is like uh, before bus, you know, the subway tokens and stuff, before MetroCards, where you had to, uh, on buses, you would get these transfer slips. And, um, and I actually, ooh, no, 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 no. There's house cleaning that oh, okay. <laughs> they always come and I just want to tell them no because we're here in the middle of podcast. Okay. Yeah. Um, are you in a hotel? No, no, it's just the uh, apartment. You're oh, renting, okay. But, you're renting. Yeah, but okay. they have this regular cleaning service. I'm like, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. They they come, they knock at random times of the day. And if you're not here, they still come into the apartment. Oh. So I'm kind of like, we got to stop this. This is not appropriate, right? So... That's that's anyway, funny. That's a lot. That's a long story. Just keep going. Sorry. sorry. But um, but so I, I started collecting these trans bus transfer slips because okay. it recorded the time of day, the oh. bus line, and the date, and oh, so that's cool. yeah. So uh, I did this for like either several months or up to a year. Um, okay. I, I think I lost them all, but oh. I I did it because during that time, I wanted to sort of document where I was. Uh, and you know, like on a day-to-day basis. And well, now, now you have this tracker, the phone. <laughs> Just go to Apple has all of it, or uh, somebody does. Yeah, somebody does. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, but this is not that much fun. I think the bus slips are much more fun. So if I if I were to like pull out any random bus slip, depending on the bus line, time yeah. of day, like yeah. I would have a general sense of like where I was going, what I was doing. Yeah, at the time. Yeah. I don't know yeah, that's, why. That's, that's cool and a lot of effort from someone our generation, but younger generations are, you just have your phone. Let's look at the timestamp. <laughs> look at look at the timestamp on the text signature. Like, you know, go back in the IP address and see where you're located. I, or whatever. I don't know. Like there's there's yeah. it's funny. It's just not gonna be relevant for kids later. Uh, you know, I often think about that too, because like yeah. there are certain things that weirdly they find really cool that I thought was pretty trite. Um, I'm trying to remember what was an example of that. Um, no, it, it's just funny things that you think they'll think are cool or be relevant aren't. Right. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. like really into, God, what were they into? Like, I never thought anime would be this big. What the hell? <laughs> like I, Jap- Japan became relevant to an entire generation of young people because of Pokemon. Like yes. I thought people just got into Japan. No, they got into Pokemon because it was their childhood. And a lot of them are, are fetishy kind of in Japan. That's why they like Japanese stuff. Um, you know, before I could never get anyone to be interested in ramen noodles. I couldn't get interested. In, I mean, sushi was kind of a thing. It was already yeah. an elite class thing. Yeah, it's an all cuisine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, but, but they, they just got into hot. Yeah. It, hot. It's, it, yeah, hot. hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so they got into that stuff and it's like so funny what the access point became for Japan, you know, but it's just really like anime and video games and because it was so formative in their years. It was, it was in mine too. I was very into video games and animation. Uh, 
but it literally is people's identities now. Like my my yeah. my, my little brother's best friend from high school, who's a who's a black kid, lives in Japan permanently now because of it. He's like totally just an anime guy and established his own YouTube channel and is married to a Japanese girl now because of Pokemon. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I I actually came across um, that whole culture subculture mm-hmm. um and the japanese company i was working for at the time uh, um became one of the donors for japan day which got started like maybe 2008 or 2009 or something mm. like um the japanese consulate at the time oh yeah wanted to do something to sort of um commemorate the u.s japan relationship and that sort of thing and is that the thing they do in central park every yes yes okay i don't know if they still do it sandra endo hosts it right yeah from new york one she used to host it um yeah i don't know okay well yeah but yeah but um i do know i think it it started with the japanese consulate uh Mm -hmm. uh, at the time and uh, so they spearheaded it and they reached out to all the japanese corporations and basically strong-armed them like hey we're doing this you need to donate money and you need to send volunteers and all that. Wait, so I you, was. Did you work for Nomura? Who are you working for? Uh, uh, Mitsubishi. Oh, Mitsubishi. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it went, and one of those Japan days, there were all these people dressed in like anime characters, and I'm like, oh, this is so cosplay, cool. Yeah. I thought. I thought. Yeah, cosplay. I thought it was part of the Japan Day festivals. No. <laughs> No, do do you know what it's like to go to the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens during the Sakura Festival now? It's a cosplay convention. Wow. It's, it's Comic-Con. It's essentially Comic-Con. Like, this is not what happens in Japan in Sakura days. It's like people appreciating that they have a picnic, whatever. It's just all these young kids dressed up as all these, like, Sailor Moon and Henry yeah. like, doing, I don't know what they're doing. They're, it's just a <laughs> fetish. Like and look, I'm I'm happy there is yeah. an interest in Japan, but it's a fetishy thing, right? It's like yeah, but you know, but you know what? I mean, these days, like, okay, for the past like I don't know how many weeks, I've been obsessively uh, watching and listening to BTS. Okay. Um, okay. And um, well, they're, they're legitimately big, you know. They're like, oh, yeah. it's not a fetish to be into BTS, right? So uh, yeah, but um. I wouldn't call it a fetish. I would say uh, their fans are definitely devoted. They yeah. have, yeah. Koreans, but, by the way, own Hollywood now. You know that, right? They've owned it for a while. Like really, the, the talent, like with you know, you, obvious people like C- Stephen Yu and Sandra Oh and Randall Park, uh, who again I grew up with. <laughs> so weird. Oh really. Um, yeah well i put that in the i put that in the word sheet um i went uh, to middle school yeah we should we should that. show that at some point yeah. yeah um but but you know even executives uh you know and certainly with parasite and even Min, Min, uh Min, what minari minari, like minari, minari. yeah yeah um it, it, it like la is already a korean town in terms of asians because uh-huh. it's like a massive korean uh community there but hollywood really I don't know what it is. Like it's just like Koreans run it from Asian um, American people. I I think because um, entertainment is a huge business in Korea, so it, it more so than China or Japan or is it? Um, know. actually, yeah, I think um um because um Korea exports 
um, entertainment in in Asia. They they basically have the Asian market. Um, yeah, so all of Asia love K-pop, love Korean movies. You know, um, yeah. So yeah. it's it's been it's been booming for for a while. It's only recently that I think it's come to um, the European and the and the American markets. Yeah, I'm all for it. They're yeah. Awesome. But anyway, yeah. so I kind of I kind of got into them because a friend of mine, hmm. uh, who's not Korean, really got into the whole uh, K-pop dance thing, particularly BTS, and I just found it curious that a non-Korean is this devoted, this enthusiastic about a K-pop sure. group, and um, and I think um, I came to understand like their hugeness when they did uh last year they did a grammys right uh well before the grammys they did um uh, the npr thing when they released their the dynamite uh, single um mm. yeah they did a i think they call it a desktop concert or something like that and um yeah somehow i got wind of it I, i'm not the most um you know, current in terms of pop culture. But anyway, so if I hear about something, that means everyone has already heard about something. So so I was watching this and I slowly, I kind of got curious about it, but um, but one of, okay, the reason why I kept watching um, uh, BTS music videos was because I couldn't tell them apart. There's seven of them. They all looked alike. And I'm like- it's Clone Wars, yeah. I know, yeah. This, is, this is like, it's crazy. So I kept watching- <laughs> If you watching. were white, you'd be racist if you said that. <laughs> but, but I don't think that should be a racist comment though, because it's true until you get used to, um, you know, a group of people and you see them over and over and over again. You, it's well, really you, difficult to have you apart. Have you spent- most of your time not around Asians, would you say? Um, depending on what period of life. Yeah. Uh, you're, yeah. Well, I, I can see that from someone who's never really been around Asians to, to partition the difference between those, you know, that group, it's hard. Uh, it's hard in general, but like if you're yeah. used to just discerning Asians, it's not that hard, right? Um, um, yeah, um, they have unique I mean, hairstyles and the clothes. You know, there there are things that are identifiers for them. You know, sure. Um, so yes, um, I mean, but when I first started working for the Japanese company, I couldn't. It was difficult for me to sometimes tell them apart. Like yeah, and the names they all sounded the same. They yeah. they all sounded like Nakajima, or Nakamura, or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I mean, it's. It's just how it's just brain science. Right. It, it, exactly. It, yeah, so. And and the more exposed you are to certain things, the more you're able to uh, make the distinctions and, and identify the, the, you know, anyway, so that's why I started watching a whole bunch of BTS videos, just so that I could start telling them apart. Now, now I could spot them, you know, you could just like, you could give me random photos, random videos, and I could tell I you go, who's who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I got you. that's cool. But, but it took me a while. But anyway, but in the process, though, I I have now fallen in love with them. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. No. Okay. I, I think um, it's it's kind of I think BTS the group is kind of unique in the way they um, in their music I think in their lyrics um, one of the BTS band uh, group members actually is part of the songwriting team 
So I think I think he writes the lyrics and um, and I think they also do sort of participate in in a lot of the uh, aspects of of you know uh, mm-hmm. how the song gets produced and all that. But it's also like um, there are a lot of uh, behind the scenes videos too. So I've been watching them. Cool. And they do reveal a lot about themselves. And so this is that generation where their whole life is, you know, open and, and yeah. yeah, people can well, watch them. I think this thing that's hard to relate to that isn't so much as like showing what group you're into or the music you listen to is the, the normative behavior around, um, I, I call it the, the, the reduction of the delayed gratification uh, sensibility. Like, like if you ask me, BTS and I didn't know who they were or something, what would I have to do? I'd write it down. I'd put it in my pocket and wait till I can go to a library or an encyclopedia, right? <laughs> then I go look for it. And then I answer my question. Now you just go, you know, it's like, meet it, meet it, meet it, meet it, right? And there's something about that that is a true generational thing that has changed um, that I've seen play out. Uh, and, um, I don't, I don't know what the implications of that are, but we definitely are not from a, we're from a delayed gratification world. Uh, our parents and grandparents were from a much more delayed gratification world, right? Yeah. So that, that, that period of a, it's like how long, like if New Yorker goes to a, a restaurant abroad or like in say in Mexico, they are frustrated because this takes a long time to get your order because you're used to it having to come in from the time you get order and to the time you get your food, a certain expectation. And that's the case with young people. They have no, no tolerance for waiting. Not only that, they can't. They have to multitask. You have to do multiple things at the same time. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, to going back to our previous conversation, you know, around mediums, platforms, Twitter, whatever, Facebook, like that stuff is fundamentally changed, and that's why your long form is much rarer. Like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I have a lot of writer friends, novelists who who stop writing because they say no one reads anymore. And they certainly are not going to read a novel. It's just not, it's just, I can't get my stories out there because I want to write a story. Yeah. But they won't, they don't have the patience to read it in that form anymore. So how can I find other ways to put it out there? I wonder, um, I, I, I was never a book reader. Like I would never sit down with a novel and read. Me neither. Um, yeah. 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 I was never that person. It's got to be a movie or a television show. Um, or articles. I would read articles. I would read sure. short stories, like short sure. forms. Like I, I could yeah. do that, but I wouldn't sit for like days, you know, reading. Right. but Audible has changed that actually. So yeah. I'm not sitting down and reading. Yeah. And, and I may be listening to while I'm doing something else, like doing chores or walking or whatever. So, you know, you're not like 100% paying attention to what you're listening to. You're, you know, uh, but at the same time, um, I am consuming a lot more books mm. <laughs> that way. And I would imagine that that's true for a lot of people too, like, you know, driving or whatever. I guess so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I did that. 20 years ago, I actually went forward and bought this tape, cassette tape collection, audio, great classic audio books on tape, but it's yeah. summarized. It's not like fully uh, read, uh-huh. you know? And because I saw a hundred books that I'll never read, but I know are, would have been really useful on the SAT, gotta be honest, because that's where you, they based all these like word passages and art, you know, and I just took it in that way. And I got, I always thought like, you know, I wish I had the ability to like touch like an X-Men, like touch a book and absorb it instantly. I just go through <laughs> Barnes and Noble and just touch. 
because how much of this so much incredibly well thought out and curated information and stories in there and we'll never see it we'll never but, experience yeah it. but here's the thing if you were able to do that how much of what you consume are you actually able to process and retain let's I, give I it a go i don't know I think that's the problem too. I think the reason why we have to, it has to be instantaneous now is because there's so much available at our fingertips and we can't retain them. I can't, I don't remember anything anymore. I, I have to constantly look things up because I can't remember things. Well, yeah, there, there's a notion that like in your, I, I what do you call it, your, there's like, what was the term? There was a, the way you partitioned the computer, there's the external the memory and then there's the, immediate access memory. Yes. So yeah, in your immediate access place in that CPU, that's that's too much. But you, yeah. if you download it to the cloud now, right? Yeah. Then that's where you store all your, your other memory, your stored pictures, but you can access it pretty quickly. So yeah, I, um, I, I don't know. I don't think there'd be a problem with uh, information overload. Um, um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because it does take time. Because I think in order for something to get to the, uh, the recessive memory, Mm -hmm. uh, long-term memory is that I think it does need to go through some form of process and, and I think, or repetition, right? Yeah. Either repetition or some sort of association or something or a combination of all those things in order for it to really become long-term memory, at which then you could access, you know, and it's not short-term memory, short-term memory comes and goes. Um, so short-term memory is like RAM, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's RAM. Yeah. Long, long-term memory is the hard drive. Yeah. Right, right. Um, no, but, yeah. but you know, like people now are. This is a frustrating. I can't remember what exactly was going on, but there was a movie on that I watched in the theater, and I was watching it with someone younger. Maybe it was my cousin or nephew or something, and um, they were watching the movie while on the phone. Yeah. Right? And then I, I go. Well, you're not paying attention to movies. Yeah, I am. And, and then I asked them a question about a scene where they didn't look at the screen and it was so critical that they were looking at the screen. I go, oh, is that, oh you remember this part? Oh yeah, that, this, this happened. I go, no, it didn't. Did you see what was going on, on the screen? I go, what? And, and then they go, oh, okay. That changes it. See, see, you can't say that it's the same thing because you, you know, you're multitasking. And so that's, that's a loss. That's a real loss that's going on. Yeah. It is a loss. And, and I have a, a I'm notorious for uh, uh, multitasking too, especially if I'm watching something. So, you know, uh, I don't know. Do you, have you watched Game of Thrones? Yeah, of course. Of oh, course. I well, I don't, some people haven't still, oh, but anyway, yeah. uh, Game of Thrones, you know, where um, uh, Tom and Baratheon, he jumps out, uh, yes. kills himself. Commit suicide. Yeah. Commit suicide. So at that point I was, I wasn't watching. I was just listening. Yeah. And then I hear, Oh, you didn't whatever. know. I didn't know. And the next thing I, I do, um, Next thing I hear, a couple of scenes later, uh, Cersei is saying, um, looking at um, the Tommen's body and saying, you know, uh, bury him next to his brother or something like that. And I'm like, bury who next to brother? Who's that? So I had to rewind. <laughs> Somebody died. I had to rewind. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. That's very well, significant. To use a metaphor. Yeah. I. I always thought, like, when you ever go to a MoMA or a museum like that, especially in MoMA, right? Um, have you ever been to a MoMA when it's empty? It's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's a totally different experience than when it's like hordes of people, right? And yeah. I am sure that the the exhibits were meant to be 
experience when it's mostly empty, not when you've got 10 mm. people moving around as noisy and whatever like that. And it's something to be said about the medium. Like, I don't think people are creating the Game of Thrones episode assuming you would not be paying attention to it, right? <laughs> but, but maybe they should now. You should be, it should be a distraction proof, right? Somehow, like you, you, you create a series where you're assuming they're on multiple other things, you know? I don't agree. I don't okay. agree. I okay. don't think I don't think technology should pander to this. I you know I, I don't think it's a healthy behavior that we're constantly like partitioning our attention to you know multiple tasks. Well, when have we ever yeah. done things that are for health? I mean, come on. It's 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 going to be like optimizing for the medium, you know. Um, yes. I think so. I I, I think it's. I, I'm just saying that to say that your experience of Game of Thrones, you know, it, it it's it's common. But you don't know that you missed it either, unless you're lucky enough to have that that you know callback. That wait a minute, yeah. what are the? Some people miss it and don't even realize it and go on with their life with this arrogance and assumption about their the confidence of their knowledge, and they don't know. They just don't know. This is all about those people who you know it, you know. There's all these you know five year old experts on topics because they did a quick deep yeah, a Google search on something like criminal justice, and then they spout out the words from these academics, and they think they know it. It's like they're experts. Yes. There's, there's a name for that. I forgot. And and you're sitting there going, wow, you're actually know there these is. very terms, but you yeah. don't know it. You're like completely, it's like, it's like goodwill hunting. It's like an abstraction for you. You don't really, you never experienced anything related to it. There, there is a term for that. Um, yeah, yeah, I forget what, what it was. is. But yeah. Um, yeah, but you're right. And so, so right. That That's why I think like we shouldn't, um, reward that behavior by pandering to it and making it easy for people to continually like partition and and be sort of this i don't know well, I, i'm not I, i'm not one to set policy right you're, you're saying like this was what it should be i've i've learned to sort of unless it's like <laughs> really evil try to let people need like organically experience it and yeah. see what shows up because i, I want to be open to learning yeah, um, I'm okay with like, you know, a kid on two different iPhones and an iPad and, and a TV watching a movie they've never seen before, because I want to I want to see what happens. I just I'm interested. Uh, now, yeah. it, it's just not the same because I think movies have become not that not what they used to be, because there's the, the dedication to experience the movie is different now that you're not in a movie theater all the time. I mean, that, yeah. that was it. You had to be in a movie. Remember, JJ? Yeah. When you watched. Okay. For me, the first uh, like movie rental, there was a time before movie rentals. Now, even saying movie rentals is a little anachronistic for young people, right? So, yeah. But I, I rented Top Gun. I think it was my first movie rental. Uh, but it was at the time when Top Gun just kind of came out, right? It was like, uh -huh. a, it was a, it was a, a but, but remember before that, you, when you went to a movie theater and you saw a movie, you will never watch it again. You're, unless it's like a rare reappearance of the movie. When you saw Jaws in 1977. Right, after it comes off the screen, yeah. Or so unless while they it's, put it on TV, unless they put it on TV. Yeah, that's right? true, yeah. Yeah, you never saw it again. Yes. And now it's so cheap. Like yeah. you see, you can just, I can I can watch a movie now while I'm talking to you, right? Yes. I can watch that movie. And there's a, there's a devaluation of the movie experience that I grew up with, which was so sacred that it's just not there anymore. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but um, you know, people are not paying attention to movies uh, and therefore I think it's not having the impact uh, that, it, that it was before. 
because I love movies. I am such a movie fan as a medium, as one of the most effective mediums to leave an impression and tell stories mm -hmm. uh, in the last minute. Now, the, the thing that I think is an advancement recently is the golden age of television now. And I don't even know yes. if Game of Thrones is considered television, but it's definitely a writer's world now because yes. the writers own television and directors own movies, but now you can tell long form movies, yes. right? So the yes. writers, the Game of Thrones was an example of the height height of that. And so was Breaking Bad. And so is, you know, all these also, others. Yeah. I, also, I think Netflix, when Netflix started. Um, oh, the, the House of Cards, right? This House long series release. Yeah, yeah that they, uh, they understood that people were binging, binge watching. Yes. And yes. so, okay, then we'll release one season at a time and also allow this sort of long form storytelling. Um, yeah. This is also part of, um, I was actually going to allude to that um, when you were saying like long form conversation is dying. Maybe that's true, but long form storytelling is actually kind of on the rise through, through these um, like series. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, you know, look, like, I don't know if you know The Godfather uh, part one and part two, especially with part yes. three. Do you watch The Godfather? Yes. Okay. So do you know that some people like Godfather one and two are unique because they both won best picture. It was like crazy, a sequel won the best picture, right? Uh, but the Godfather two story was incredibly like, it was the second, it was, a, it was like not the ideal Godfather they wanted to run. And the reason was because the, one of the main characters in the movie in real life held out and made an almost ransom demand to Coppola in the studio to pay him a lot. And therefore his mm -hmm. character was axed and was supposed to be the the main character or the second main character in the in the series. So I don't I don't know if you remember if I say names, would you you won't remember what I'm talking about here? Uh, Godfather. No. Yeah, go ahead, say it. Okay, Maybe. so there was a yeah. there was a character in the first movie uh, named Clemenza. Okay, so uh, he was a fat guy. He was like the guy who said, get the cannoli. Yes, remember? yes, yes. So there's two partners that Don Corleone had. It was Clemenza and Tessio. Yeah. Tessio was killed at the end because he was disloyal and they killed him and Clemenza lived on. In the second movie, there's this character named uh, Johnny Five Fingers, uh, uh, Pentangeli. Okay. Uh, he was supposed yeah. to be Clemenza, all right? He was the person who grew up in the old school Godfather world with the dad, right? Uh, yeah. Don Corleone, the original, not Michael Corleone. And he was seeing the times change and the young son of his partner who was his dad taking over and being all into this like finance and gambling and this is not how he did it and then he eventually turned to the FBI and sold him out right but he 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 knew that he had a lot of leverage there and demanded a ton of money from Paramount and then they said we can't pay you that so we're going to kill your character even though it's uh. like a kicker and they hired in this random other guy to sort of be oh yeah he died and then you took over and it just never quite sat with me until you understood the backstory that it was all and the negotiation side on, on the actors. And that's why the story couldn't be told as they wanted to tell it. Interesting. Um, that's why gotta... Godfather 3 didn't have Tom Hagen. It didn't have Robert Duvall in it because Robert ah. Duvall refused to be in it, but he was supposed to be a main character in Godfather 3. And that's why this, the Godfather 3 movie sucked kind of. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm just saying this to say this, yeah. the long form release works better from a storytelling and actor standpoint, because you're not waiting years after yeah. the release to rehire and renegotiate the contract, you're doing it all at once. So there's continuity to a character line because you know the character will still be there because they're under contract. Because yeah. you're filming one year in like a short amount of time versus 
what they did in sitcoms in the 80s is you filmed an episode, you, re- uh, you released it and saw how the ratings were, and then you changed yeah. it week to week, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's great. I, I love it. I think it's produced better material. Uh, Game of Thrones is an example, save the last two seasons, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but because they lost the source material. Yes, like JJ, I know. Yeah, he, he, he wasn't writing it. They weren't, the, the producers can, can only adapt. They couldn't create original screenplays. And so it was pretty clear, right? It was uh, like, yeah, I mean, and there, and there are plenty of like YouTube channels that talks about Game of Thrones that go into like what they could have done differently in terms of telling that story that, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> um, what are you going to say? I'm sorry. Um, I don't remember, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we kind of like morphed into storytelling, but you know, but that is, that is what it's about. Right. That's uh, you know, whether it's legacy or even moving forward. Right. It is, it is, because w- moving forward, you're we're creating our our stories or creating our future legacies, if you want to put it that way. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't think in that way. I mean, I, I still think storytelling stories mm. are the m- most primal form our brain was created for memory. We yes. remember things in stories, in parables. That's why the Bible is the way that it is. That's why legend, you know, things. Legends. Um, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the brain is still wired for that to be the most sort of easy to yeah. adapt kind of yeah. mode of communication. Um, but, you know, most people nowadays, un- until they're older, you know, uh, they, I don't know if they're into that. They're just about, you know, we're capitalists, right? A lot of people just <laughs> look at money and experiences and stuff. Uh, storytelling come is something people appreciate later, I find, a lot of times. It's rare for folks who are not on, like, their deathbed or like toward the end of their retirement lives uh, where they start really getting into that stuff, you know? I remember what I was going to say. So this is like maybe a couple of subjects ago. Um, I think there's a part of me that is dragging my foot in terms of how fast um, technology is progressing. There's a Luddite part of me that like maybe you want to slow adopter. things down okay uh, i'm definitely not an early adopter i would say maybe i'm like sort of in the middle or middle yeah. ladder yeah <laughs> where you're the bit of middle of the bell curve not the beginning or the late maybe okay. i i'm not the late last okay. adopter either um I, yeah i i think i'm fairly average but when i adapt i think i do adapt i do adapt quickly i think okay um but um but anyway, uh, well, because, you know, we were, I think you were commenting, you know, because I was saying a lot of shoulds, like, I don't think it should happen this way. And because I'm making value judgments. Mm-hmm. And, and you were countering that and saying, well, I just want to let things happen and see what happens. Um, but I think there's a part of me that want to slow things down. Okay. And I think that's sure. why I, I kind of come from the perspective of like, maybe that shouldn't happen, or maybe this should happen. I don't know. Well, what do you mean? What would slowing down look like? Like, what, what's going too fast for you? Um, right. So uh, earlier you were saying like maybe movies would be uh, produced or, or um, you know, filmed or, you know, differently to, to sort of accounting for people who multitask as they're, as they're watching. Oh, yeah. Things. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that should because I think that sort of pandering to the 
uh, not better nature. <laughs> well, it would be something very difficult for a director to agree to. Like, oh, by the way, water down your original idea. I mean, they already do that, right? Yeah. Like, you know, studios already mess with their the integrity of their vision, but th th there's no way logistically with all the, the, the pipeline you have to go through and the incentives for the people to do it for that to happen anyways. I'm just saying, if you want to optimize the viewer's experience, that's mm -hmm. actually what you should think about. Assume they're distracted, you know? Um, so... You know, what would a museum look like if it was designed? This is now my Parsons design background. What would a museum look like if it was designed from the perspective of a distracted, like, uh, attendee or, or, or a customer or whatever at a museum? It would look different. The way the exhibits, the way you curated it, the room size, right? You know, they, yeah. we did this exercise with um, the bike share system in New York. What does the bike share system look like from the, from the perspective of a person in this neighborhood? or uh, from the perspective of the neighborhood council, from the perspective of the mayor, from the perspective of the region, from the perspective of the world, from the, you know, like, like it, it all looks different depending on the scale of which you're looking at it and how you're deciding to prioritize the design sensibility. Mm -hmm. um, so same thing here. I, I just really believe in that. Um, because you can't avoid it anyways. I mean, you and I will. I mean, our, our grandparents will probably still lament the fact that, um, you know, we, 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 we watch like things on a screen and not in person in the theater, yeah. right? Because it is a very different, there's no energy. You, where's the crowd? There's no, there's no experience. You don't get a dress up. It's not like a thing. You're just sitting at home and you just like brought out your TV dinner and just watching this thing. Ugh. It's we not an event. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the yeah. same thing. See, I'm saying it's generationally, it's all yeah. relative. So you are your your generation's notion of oh, times are changing. There's a loss here. Yeah. That but new there, generation's gonna feel the same way. Yeah. Yes, but I think we could we could still say the those things without necessarily making value judgments, like one is better than the other, because I think there is a loss. Uh, that we don't go to the theaters in the world because we don't have those communal effect, uh, communal experiences, and well, you know. I think there's a it's a change for sure. It's a change, a or loss, but there's also a gain because change will involve losses yes, and gains, right? Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. There's a trade off. Yeah, you lose yeah. something, you gain something, and mm -hmm. and it's different. Yes, mm -hmm. right. uh, yeah. We're that going is through true. that with the whole remote working thing right now. Are people going to go back to offices? There's a loss and not going to the water cooler or going into the physical yeah. office, but there's a gain. Yeah. There's no lost time on commuting. There's no overhead costs with office leasing. There's no, you know, right? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Thing. And and like you, what you're doing now, you're a digital nomad. You're you're in Mexico. Um, I I think I'm a digital. I'm a remote worker because I can't physically be in my office anyway. So why be? Yeah. In you know why why if I'm gonna work out of my apartment, which is not that big, why don't I work at a and, and you know it was freezing right recently, yeah. <laughs> kind of maybe cold. Why don't I go to a place where I could just walk out and be three minute walk to the beach, which I am, you know, and so you have not officially left New York. You're still a New York resident. Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, but it, it but it it this is again what happens yeah. with technology and how it changed the the parameters of what you thought was possible. Well, now why can't I do this in freaking Singapore? Yeah, you know? yeah, and I'll have better can. food. <laughs> um, yeah. 
the, the time zone thing's the consideration because you can't get around yeah. that. I would have to work at, you know, what is that? 15 hour difference. I don't know what the time difference is, but um, about that would 12 be, hours from New York. Yeah, yeah. That would be hard. I'd be yeah. completely off cycle. So when everyone's yeah. sleeping here, I'm working, right? Um, depending on how I stagger meetings, like digital nomads have figured out a way to be off hour. So you yeah. figure out how to partition synchronous and asynchronous work, right? Yeah. So meetings, you know, uh, if you do traditional Zooms, you got to be on those, but the work can be siphoned elsewhere. And so yeah. this is exciting. I think it's really cool, you know? Yeah. Um, um, I actually, I, 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 that was one of the things that I sort of, uh, uh, you know, dreamed of doing when I left um, my corporate job is like, hey, if I can figure out a way to just work remotely, I could be anywhere. I could be on a multi-year long road trip through, you know, America, you know, United States and Canada uh, and work, you know. You could have, well, if you were, I don't think you're working when you did your road trip, right? I wasn't, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Here's the challenge though. I have no sense of a weekend. There's no- there's That no, is true. Yeah, I, it's just I'm constantly working like and I actually feel some stress as a result of that. It's not because I have that much work. It's because there's no partition of going home and this is I'm off now. And yeah. I'm on. Yeah. It's like it's like the whole take vacations whenever you need it policy, which is bullshit. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's just you just know there's no you need to be forced to be off. You know, it's and also. You need to be yeah, it's also the kind of like, you know, um, uh, you know, go consulting or freelance like you're mm -hmm. your own boss and that sort of thing no because you have to constantly chase after that next gig and so you're actually in some ways working more and you know yeah yeah but that, that would have been in play even during pre-remote times because exactly. you could still do that while reporting to an office right yes now it's just uniquely it was what is I don't even know what day of the week it is JJ I honestly I don't it's, know I think it's Thursday I, or Friday it's Friday. It's Friday it's Friday okay yeah <laughs> I, I don't know it was like a Saturday one time and I was like like what's going on here there's so many people oh it's Saturday I have to constantly look at my phone to check what day of the week it is what date it is <laughs> I, I don't know anymore I yeah. really don't know I roughly know we're in like April May Okay, yeah. but I, I have no sense of weekends anymore because there's no difference between a weekend and a weekday for me. Like, yeah. except if I have a scheduled meeting that tends to happen, but I don't feel relief on Friday night or afternoon. I don't feel anything. It's just like, when I go home, I, I, I want as well get ahead of the work I have to do because it's project-based, right? So yeah. that's a loss actually. Uh, it's kind of nice to know when you couldn't be reached on email and you couldn't respond to anyone, you were totally off the grid. I could totally immerse myself into something and now mm -hmm. I can't, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you know. yeah. So, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. See, you know. see, there are some advantages of having like, <laughs> as a, as a, yeah. And you're an anti-technology person. <laughs> uh, advancement. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not anti-technology. I just think like, um, you know, I don't think technology is a be-all end-all to no, everything. No, I don't, I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. You, you know, okay, so the, there's a moment mm -hmm. when I realized I, you know, I always thought I was hip. Like, I, I kind of kept up with the trends. I was using, like, you know, you know, like Google in its full way, like with docs and sharing and, you know, all the latest technologies, not social media as much, but just like work to go in. Yeah. And then um, I was working with Andrew at Venture for America. And there was a story that came out that, you know, a lot of the employees were like just recent college grads. So I was a good 15 years older than them. 
maybe, right? Um, almost a generation. And they were talking about, we were, I was, I noticed a story about this guy named Mante Tayo. Uh, Mante, Mante Tayo. He was a, a football, college football player at Notre Dame. And he was being investigated for some sort of fraud or something in life because he had sent money or something to his girlfriend mm -hmm. uh, somewhere. But they realized later that it, they were questioning whether it was his girlfriend. And what had happened is he was catfished. Uh. He actually had a, had a girlfriend that he'd never met before. And they were like, because they were interviewing it. So who is this girlfriend? Well, I don't, Wait. I've never met her. Never met face to face, but did correspond electronically. Yeah, but not video. Right? Okay. That was like a little before it was more, ex yes. you know, easy to do video. Yeah. So he'd never seen this person really, like I mean, an image, but had chatted, right? Texted. And then they asked him, who's your girlfriend? I said, well, this person. It's like, you? It's like, but I've never met her. And like, <laughs> come on, stop making bullshit. It's like, no, what? And then they were mutually confused. But then I would talk to the young people at the office and I was like, well, yeah, what's the big deal? It's like, you can call someone your girlfriend and never meet them. I'm like, okay, what are you talking about? Yeah. What the hell are you talking about? And then I realized, wow, I have now reached the line where I, I could not understand it. And now this is technology. This is young people who are so used to forming, calling people friends mm -hmm. they just chatted with. And then that could just yeah. rise to a level of relationship. So yes. he, th this girlfriend of his was not real. It was a guy posing as the girl, right? Yeah. Just catfish or whatever. And um, he later was heartbroken, but it, instead of it being intentional fraud or whatever, it was unintentional. So he just looked silly. He looked like a fool or something. You can Google that. I don't remember the exact okay. details. I might yeah. be getting it wrong, but the whole point was I didn't understand that technology had shortcutted the entire courting process and the bar to considering someone, you know, that you're, he was in love with her. He was in love with yeah. someone he had never seen. So that's, that was that I would actually categorize that as a problem because I think mm -hmm. it does shortchange um, the younger generation in, in um, the ability to socialize and relative to our level of socialization though for them they're not missing anything they don't know what they're missing right they don't know what they're yes i know but this is i think uh, okay. we don't know what we're missing either jj we didn't know what we're missing from our parents and grandparents generation you know um yes you are right see it's relative <laughs> yes you are right uh okay fine well i'm not, I'm not trying to be but right I, i'm just I, trying to say like you know it's no, no, Time no. moves on. Time I, moves on. I get your point, but like, I just think that there really needs to be face-to-face -face interaction. I mean, it doesn't have to be all the time, but at some point, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, is there going to be a point where there's no need to meet in person for anything? I, I say yes. Anybody, any human will never have to meet another person. Um, Yes. So if um, the whole VR thing progresses to the point where you can physically mm -hmm. simulate, you know, physical experiences as well, right? Then, then people will be having VR sex, VR everything. Yeah. I mean, like I said, JJ. Yeah. How do I know you're JJ? 
I don't know. You, someone sent me an email and it responded to my thing. No, really, like you could be a simulation from the future that I that comes off as a real person. No, absolutely. We're we're kind of getting uh, black mirror. <laughs> well, also it's it, it's a philosophical argument as well, right? Uh, you know, yeah. what constitutes actual experience? Um, yeah. So oh, I I say, and you know, you can you can be uh, uh, you can be simulated for me because I don't know you super well. I know you, but I don't know you enough to say, wait a minute, that was weird. That's not you, right? Right. Like your sisters or or family. But most people don't have that level. I mean, look, if we were, let's say you were literally in the room next door in New York to me, all right? Like, is it so important that I meet you in person for coffee and have this talk? Like, you know, is that more important or is this fine? Like, this is fine. Like, you know what I mean? This is would, fine for this purpose. But I would right. say, I yeah. would say if I were to be, a, if I were to generate income through this, and actually get a physical studio, I would actually invite guests to come over physically and have this conversation one-on-one, face-to-face, because I think even though video is a fair substitute in, you know, uh, in circumstances where uh, face-to-face meetings is maybe not practical, right? right? Because, you know, this way I could talk to anybody around the world anytime, you know, whatever. And, but if I, was if I was not constrained uh, by resources and means, then I would actually prefer to have a face-to-face meeting because oh, there is right. that added nuances that happen in communication. No, I agree. Yeah. But that's the holodeck. That's happening. That's it's gonna go that way. If you have a robust, we're we're in this right. I got we're in this pager era of technology. Right. We're in this tweener technology era right yeah. now. Right. Eventually it'll be the, this, but before it was a pager. That was a better thing from the landline to the cell phone, right? Yeah. We're now in the Zoom era, which is the substitute between the real person interaction and the, the holodeck, the virtual yeah. Star Trek holodeck. Yeah. And that becomes a reality. Oh, we are all virtual. Why? It's literally, you can't tell, unless I, you're, you're feeding me food and I can't eat it, right? Yeah. I don't need to touch your hand or smell your hair or breath or something. It, like I just need to have most of that experience of the nonverbal communication, the the body language, right? Yeah. And some people don't want that. What if you're sort of not able-bodied or you're whatever? Like some people would prefer the the, the avatar of the virtual room, right? No, that is true. Yeah. Yes. And I yeah. think yes, in that sense, I think it does offer opportunities for for you know, many individuals in right. you know, many different circumstances. Right. right. Um, but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> then fine. It's a personal preference. <laughs> We're on a nice intellectual swim here. I love it. I was actually intellectual. This is like speculative technology, which is, I love. And yeah, it's, it, you know, we're, but this is not science fiction anymore. This it's is not. just about when, when will yes. it happen? Right. Yes. I mean, JJ. Think about this, this, you can't see it. Okay. I can't this see thing. it. Yeah. All right. iPhone. Can you imagine you had that in the year 2000? No. You would literally be a freaking like alien. <laughs> oh my God. You record, it's, a, it's your phone, it's your camera. It. You can send messages. You have like, like this full touch screen thing. That was just like 20 years ago. It's Although back yeah. in 1993, so this yeah. is like, 
at the infancy of internet, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, 1993. So back then I was doing Amway, believe it or not. Oh, anyway, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so I, I would go to these regional meetings and, you know, national conventions and all that stuff. And there was this particular uh, speaker um, that uh, belong to my particular upline. Anyway, that's that's mm -hmm. jargon talk. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, once one of the speakers was saying like how, you know, in the future, in the near future, uh, that we'll be able to go on the computer, order stuff and virtually try on clothes and all kinds of things and order and it'll get shipped to you. And I was like, that's crazy talk. When is that ever gonna happen? This is 1993, yeah. Yeah, not that totally. long ago. Yeah. Yeah. And and then I don't know if people figured out the whole, I mean, those are like product sales stuff. I mean, it's like Warby Parker, right? All these people do that already. That makes a lot of sense. That's augmented reality, right? But like, like the social stuff, I don't know if anyone figured it yeah. out, how it was going to play out. And there's still, it's still not played out yet. Like how people still have to meet others. They, I think people still want to more or less married i mean at least in our yeah. country it's not the case worldwide um you know there's going to be major assumption trend uh, assumptions traditions that are going to go by the wayside mm -hmm. um like like marriage and having kids like you know all this stuff because of technology in my opinion and you know overcrowding you know world populations so. um and it's just uh it's moving very fast to your point like technology is accelerating things at a rate that is faster than our biological minds have been taught to adapt to and that's something to notice I don't know if it's like a concern I guess other than if we had, if the outside world adapts faster than we're capable of then we're gonna we're gonna extinct ourselves you know in some fashion hmm. um but you know but I, I I don't know I mean we're in this still nice balance I think of, of technology meshing with our biological traditional needs and um you know hopefully we we keep a reasonable pace or, or progress on that. Uh, I don't want it to become matrix. I don't want it to become um, <laughs> chip you know, in your brain kind of thing. Well, the Borg attacking the Federation, yes. you yes. know, like where they're trying. Yeah. Terminator. Right. That's like the dystopic kind of notion of it. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, and when I saw the Mente Tayo dating in love thing, I go, wow, I, I don't know what's possible anymore. I, I, I literally, think that um, every generation shocks the previous one and generations are now more condensed. They're not 20 years or sort of less. There's like technological generations, which are almost like every month. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah we're, we're so, we're dinosaurs in that space now. I mean, even the the 10 year olds think that the, 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 the eight year olds are like, you know, or the, <laughs> the 12 year olds are like poo-pooing on the 15 year olds as being out of touch, you know? You know, I mean, that's what we're dealing with and yeah. um, I don't. I don't know what to say. I stop controlling it and watch watch the the parade and and see what you how you, you know, how you feel about it. I mean, now I'm going back to like original topic around my grandparent, who my grandfather was born in 1917. Can you imagine what he must have thought of the world prior to last you know months ago? Like, I can't even imagine. He grew up in a freaking grape ranch at a time when going to Japan was a two week boat ride. Mm -hmm. A boat you had to be on, right? And there was no computers. There was calculators. You know? Let me tell you, the more the more I dig into history and the further yeah. back in time I go, the more yeah. as, as astounded I become at 
the amazing things that people were able to accomplish without modern technology. Sure. To yeah. Get to the moon, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, even before that, you know, like before computers, before anything. And before and air conditioning. I thought before, about that with my grandfather. How, how did they live here before air conditioning? It's so freaking hot. Like, may, how do you live? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. You can't. You get function. used to it. You get used to it. It would change my diet. First of all, there are bugs, right? Yeah. Now there isn't, like, you'd have to, you know, adjust your diet. You pretty much only be able to do certain activities. They probably wouldn't be cognitive as much. They would, you know, you, it's so hard to focus when it's too hot. Yeah. On this kind of stuff, but you yeah. can do manual labor thing, probably be in the water a lot. You probably yeah. condition your diet to be anti, like insect repellent, right? Like a lot of spicy foods. So and you don't, you don't do a lot of things in the middle of the day. So that's, that's when you have siesta, right? You kind of well, like go in the middle of the day right now. Yeah. yeah but under uh, shade. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I don't know why. And some would argue this is just a waste of time, but I love thinking about those things. Yeah. I love understanding how the mesh of circuit time, technology, place, weather, all these things shaped a culture. This is like that germs guns and steel book or whatever yeah yeah, that, that yeah. all that stuff is so fascinating to me i guess it's what is this sociological anthropological mix and um, i don't know why i don't know why it just is it's just uh, it is fascinating though it is fascinating because um it's also like that your natural environment also sort of how it shapes food and culture and or even language and you know all these things um, you know, that we think of as human experiences, you know, um, yeah, it, all these things. Um, I think some time ago, I, I don't know how old I was, I began to realize how, uh, at that time, I was thinking food and language are sort of like the biggest, for me, it was the biggest indicators of how people in certain cultures, how they think, uh, you know, what they value and things like that, just by looking at the food and culture. So food, uh, not so much these days because everything is flown around and, yeah. and you know, and, uh, and things are grown everywhere. Uh, but, um, you know, indigenous plants and, you know, uh, um, and what have you. Um, I, I don't know, I just found it interesting. I don't really particularly have a point. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, so I want to just make sure. I, I know we're not we're technically topicless, but like in terms yes. of the initial interest I, you had in connecting with me was around my grandfather and family. Yeah. Did we kind of touch on most of the things I, I that think you were so, interested but about? I I think um I think maybe a good way to wrap this up is maybe um uh share some of the photos that you sent me. Okay. And um, we could sort of talk about that sure um, are you gonna screen share i or, am I mean, I yeah screen share keep it go ahead yeah okay okay what what would you like me to talk about with this um, I, mean, I know it's illegible but that's yeah the design i don't want people just like google you can, you can google everyone now i don't want people to find it but maybe um, we just skip over this part other than oh, no, no. like I think the color coding is useful here. Okay, so okay. the top purple boxes, you see those? Those are my great-grandparents, Kichi and, um, uh, wow, I forgot my great-grandma's name. But they were the first, they're called Issei's. They were the first generation to come to America. And they had the pink boxes, 
their 10 children, okay? So the pink boxes are their direct descendants of which my uh, grandmother would have been, I can't move my cursor. No, you can't see mine. It's the third top box up across the top. Uh, there's like two that are on top of each other, but- Do you want me to one. like, which one? Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's not, okay, on the far left is the first and there's two on top of each other is the second. The third box, there should be my grandmother. Oh, okay, me. this is, is your grandmother. I do think you that's true. Do you yeah. see my cursor? Yeah, I, okay, I, I just can't, I can't read what it is right now. I'm pretty sure that's Fumi. Um, let me see. Yeah, that is Fumi. And um, she's the fourth of 10 children. Um, what was fascinating that, okay, so they all, uh, my grand, great grandparents uh, owned the farm in Seattle. The farmland they originally had was seized by Boeing aircraft. And so Boeing you now owns it and there was a airfield built on it. That's the other picture I sent you. Mm -hmm. um, but they were farmers. Um, and you know, uh, this was about 19, you know, early 1900s, literally 1900 to 1920 or something. Um, my grandmother uh, had, you know, the, the, the three of the first four children were female. And so what was going on then is firstly, her oldest sister, the first child, got married at like 18 or 17. And part of that was part of the times that was what you did. But part of it was the oldest children ended up being the parents to the younger children. Yeah. The, the parents were, yeah, working all the time. And basically the, the daughters were the mothers to the younger children. And they're like, I, I'm, I'm tired of this crap, you know? And so like, get me out of here. So they were looking to fly the coop as soon as possible. So that was the case for Sakai, who is the first oldest daughter. It's also the case for... Um, you know what? Let me. You want me to share my screen really fast so you can see yeah. some of these words? Okay. Why don't you take it off screen share, and then I will. I think I have to give you permission. Hold on. Um, yeah. You just need to get off screen share. I can actually. Let me see. Yeah, oh, I'm off disabled. Screen. Yeah, you're gonna have to. I think I. Yeah, I think I. Gave you. Permission. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Can I not zoom? Oh, you know what? If I'm in that mode, I can't zoom here. Okay. Can you see this? Yep. Oh, nice. I could actually read it. Yeah. Okay. So my great grandparents, I want to make maximize the screen. Okay. So my great grandparents, Kichi and Shio, they were married in 1903. So everyone's marriage dates. Uh, this is my grandmother and grandfather, buried in 1932. So this is what I found. And I was just like stunned, right? You can you can see all this right here. Mm -hmm. And then the next generation, because that's the pink are the direct descendant generation. And then the blue become their children, mm -hmm. right? So that's my dad right here, Richard. You can see the cursor. And then we are the green, John, Eddie, Audrey, Gary. Mm -hmm. And then finally, yellow is the fifth generation kids. So if you look at this picture here, it's color coded based upon the generational um, movements and nice. there are a lot of us and they all gather um let me see i don't have a what are the one. white boxes they're not direct bloodlines so my my mom oh those are spouses here. okay yeah see my my dad richard but he's she's not directly connected to kichi and shio he she's okay. yeah all right so um so this is impressive and something one of my aunties has been curating for a long time this is my grandparents right here in the center 50th wedding anniversary where these are all the siblings here. One, 
this is my grandma, this is her sister, this is her sister, this is her sister, this is her sister. These are her brothers, one, two, three. And then this is my grandfather. My grandmother had 10 uh, siblings. My grandfather had nine. Wow. So here's my grandfather, his sister, his sister, his brother, his brother, his brother. Um, yeah, there's a ton of them. Here's me right here. <laughs> my, my, me, my little brother, my older brother, and my sister. And so these are like in that org chart are most of the people on it right here. It doesn't look like you. I would not yeah. have, I would not be able to yeah, spot you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but along with the org chart came these incredible photos, you know, um, you know, like, look at these. These yeah. are my family. Yeah. This bottom right here is my great grandfather. He's uh, on a pig farm. That's his oldest daughter here. And there's pigs. This is a, uh, uh, one of the family members who lived in Wyoming also, and they ran a laundry business. Mm. Uh, this upper right is uh, the, the, my, my grandmother's brothers boxing in the, like this little rascal style thing. That was their era. <laughs> I mean, like, this is the farm in Seattle. This is the oldest daughter uh, getting married. I mean, look at this gothic looking, <laughs> whatever that it looks like a 20s like silent film. Right. But that was that was what they were. Their, their idols, like say our generation might've been, well, I won't say mine, was like Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt. For them, it was Rudolph Valentino, mm -hmm. you know, Clara Bow, um, mm -hmm. you know, Charlie Chaplin. Well, he wasn't really a hero. He was just a, a star, but Gary Cooper. My little brother's name is Gary, you know, mm. or Gary Cooper. So um, yeah, so that was like, you know, and here's, here's the opening of Boeing aircraft, Boeing Field, as they call it, Seattle's first airport. This is not a stock photo. This is from my family because they are right next door. <laughs> they just like, you know, it's like they built it. This is an actual photo of the first flight from Boeing. Uh, wow. Who's now a major air, airline maker, right? Airport. This is my grandfather. You saw this before. Uh, and his gardening truck in the 30s in LA. Um, you know, he, he had his own route. He had his own thing. He's one of these old trucks. This one was a great find. Um, it was my grandfather, he's right here at the Arrow circling, uh, in 1934 with his construction crew in Manzanar, uh, Manzanar Concentration Camp, which is in the high desert. It's like east of Yosemite on the other side of the mountains. How did you even identify that the, the, this location was Manzanar? Was it like it, written It said somewhere? it on the back. It oh, said okay. Manzanar 43, some date two. And then I found my grandfather, but I also thought, didn't know he went to Manzanar. He went to Tule Lake, which is on the Oregon, California border. So I actually then went to this physical site and sat in the exact same spot. I compared the mountain photos in the back because the mountain ridge stayed the same. Mm -hmm. And it was like the same. Um, it's on my Facebook post somewhere. I was gonna actually give you a screenshot of it, but I, I couldn't, I sat right there. It, it looks a little different, you know, but it's pretty similar. You can tell it's the same place. Uh, I showed this to a park ranger and they said, oh, that looks like the reservoir. Oh. So they, they, they showed me it there. Yeah. Uh, this is, um, again, this is my paternal side. My, my grandfather uh, was not able to be reunited initially with my grandmother, who was a U.S. citizen. And because he was born in Japan and lived there for like the first three years of his life, they had to petition the U.S. the Senate and they finally succeeded in this private law 468 which is an act for the relief of Roy Waishiomi. It's kind of cool to see your grandfather's name mm -hmm. in, in code and uh, allowed them to reunify. And this is just a screenshot of the Spokane uh, story about 
um, Roy being reunited. I have the longer form somewhere, but I just found that. Um, this is uh, Randall Park. You see him right here, right there. Um, here, the brown. Yeah, yeah carrying the gun. <laughs> it's a yeah. Gun. Uh, this is Achievers. This is our, uh, all of us went to UCLA together and we decided to do our first production because at that point, you know, he was just working a graphic arts job at some local newspaper and he wanted, he hadn't really fulfilled his talent and promise in acting. And so we did this 99 seat theater play in 2001 um, together and it was not reviewed well, but it was like a start. And got him to be seen by certain agents. And I think that helped his career. Um, a bunch of these people are now really big in Hollywood. This guy right here, Hugh, he uh, went to, he went to um, film school with John M. Chu, the Crazy Rich Asians director. Mm -hmm. And they actually, I think they did GI Joe together. I don't know, maybe something before that, but uh, he's like a pretty big producer now with him, Randy, and this guy, Mike, who was the writer of the play. Um, they're they're big. I mean, he's a he's a show lead writer, and he's a producer, and obviously Randy's the talent. And so they started their own production company. Um, but the thing that's really interesting about this group is Randy, in addition to these two other guys, Dave and Derek, started this Asian American theater club on campus called LCC. It it stands for Lapu the Coyote that Cares. It, it, that only means okay. something because they all did this thing called UCLA camp summer camp together. And that, that was their nickname, Lapu, Coyote, and Cares, right? And it became a, a huge, like it was so impressive what they did. Right? Prior to that, we did all these like Asian culture shows, which were like plays, you know, I did like one on internment camps, but this was like a serious production. It was like a really, really good script. And that organization, um, after we graduated, I think even maybe two years later, uh, that became the springboard, and she talks about it for Ellie Wong. Ellie Wong was in this group, and you know, I think that's how she became. She took oh. off. I mean, she was already talented, but LCC is where she got her chops at UCLA as an undergrad. So, um, it's just on my running with Lynn Sanity stuff. I mean, a lot of people had it, but like, uh, um, I'm friends with the guy who did the documentary for Jeremy. He also took me to Jeremy's last college game. Uh, mm -hmm which was kind of cool. And then obviously I was in New York during the insanity and CBS interviewed me uh, because I was running a basketball program for youth. And, and I talked about Jeremy Lynn, it was so funny. Um, so that's another connection. I, I, I had forgotten that you were on the board of Apex. Mm -hmm. um, so, so after I came back from my travels, yeah. um, I got um, a message from my former colleague at the, at the Japanese company. Um, uh, saying, no, actually, this is while I was still out overseas. She said that Michael Lee had asked about me, uh, who was the executive director yeah, of Apex sure. at the time. Yeah, because um, he, because I, I think I updated my LinkedIn saying that, you know, I'm on a sabbatical. So he was looking for a communications director or something. Oh, to work at Apex. Yeah, um, but what I was over. Was what? What year was this? I was out there in 2017. So I think you guys were you yeah, you guys were looking for somebody for 2018, I think. I'm okay. not sure. Um, so I messaged him and I said, Hey, I'm overseas, but um, I'll look you up when I come back because I didn't know exactly when I would come back. But you know, I did come back like just a couple months later. Um, 
And then, uh, and then I forgot about it. But then in 2018, either 2018 or 19, you guys actually posted a job opening for communications. Uh, yeah, communications. I kind of remember that. Yeah, yeah, and actually I did interview. I had a phone interview oh. with uh, the marketing person at the time and he looked at my resume. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I think you're overqualified. <laughs> they were. person. They were looking for somebody significantly junior. Yeah, very junior. Yeah, I think we were. It's more like a budget yeah. thing. We couldn't afford people yeah. that were <laughs> experienced. Okay, wow, how funny. Yeah. What, a, what an overlap. And then, and then uh, I think it was around that time that I, I, I was looking at the Apex website and look, looking at the board members and you were on it. I'm like, oh, I know this guy. And, uh, and then I think you took over the ED position temporarily for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was interim because Mike uh, left. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I had a nice run there because I oversaw the gala, which had Gemma Chan, you know, and Olivia Munn, and, and it was like super cool. Um, so I, I put that because I, I really, I love Gemma Chan, she's like awesome. <laughs> um, I don't know who she is, I'm gonna have to look her up. <laughs> okay, well, did you see Crazy Rich Asians, that movie? No, I didn't. Oh, well, that's yeah. why. Um, okay. But um, that was a really incredible moment, not in Asian American history, but in Asian hyphen Western white culture, white country history. Yes, because it was the it was the bringing together of people who I think have more in common than even like say me and Japanese person. It's people who are Asian complexion, who live as minorities within a predominantly white culture and share a common language, English. You know, so it's, it was Australians, Asian Australians, Asian, whatever, like British, like like Gemma, mm. uh, uh, you know, um, Constance Wu, which is Asian American like all together on this shoot of this movie. And I was like, wow, that's so touching. Like all these diasporas come together, you know? Um, Aquafina, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It was it was incredible. It was, it was like, it was, it was so touching from a larger context point of bringing together. It's almost like me connecting with my Brazilian and Peruvian Japanese family, you know? Mm. It was just so touching. And I, I don't know, that's the context in which I look at it uh, a lot of times and what an accomplishment it was. Um, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. Gemma's career hasn't really taken off. Um, it's not like uh, Henry Golding, who seems to be doing much better. And Aquafina, for sure. Aquafina, true. Um, yeah. You know, that role was originally offered to Ellie Wong, but she declined it. Oh, really? So, yeah. Why? Well. Okay, never mind. Off the record. I can go off the record, but yeah. like, let's say Constance Wu is a very difficult person. And I think all of Hollywood knows it. And I think there's folks who didn't want to work with her. <laughs> just said it that way. Well, so it's not off the record anymore. You said it on recording. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm aware <laughs> that she's difficult. Um, so you know, there's the casting stuff is very hard. Um, Aquafina stepped in. She took it, and man, she is she's taken off. Mm. She's taken yeah, off. Yeah. You know. Um, so that's cool. So anyway, uh, yeah. So that that was that let me just go forward for here okay this is like some pictures with andrew um i don't i don't i was trying to look for ones before venture for america i mean this the, his wedding in in puerto rico was one mm -hmm. um and then the other two are venture for america pictures but uh you know i didn't i never would have thought andrew would ever run for president when he told us like he's running for president we're like of what <laughs> like everyone's like of what right and uh you know well, I'm glad uh, he did, I think, because I yeah. think he, uh, yeah, he brought to the, to the national conversation, you know, 
several things. Yeah, um, I mean, he's formidable. I mean, he's he's a yeah. like he's he can seriously do a better job than our current mayor, I think. And uh, you know, he's, oh my he's gosh, I don't like our current mayor at all. Yeah, not many do. I I just think. I think I, I just know he 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 can do a much better job. Yeah. Um, you know, it's difficult for me because I have a lot of friends in politics, and there's sort of like a cue for that, those kind of roles. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's cutting in line, really. Uh, but but you know, he, that's ridiculous. I mean, I I know I know that's how it works, but at the same time, no. Well, it's 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 you know then 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 no one needs to vote. To like run, you know what I mean like he's never voted before and he's never like there's all these things which generally track you to being more empathetic to others that you you have a you have a ramp up for it like he's not that he's just really smart and he's really you know a quick learner and what we need right now is like someone who would just be good at the job um, I, I think and so I yeah think, you know I think he's the strongest candidate out there. But uh, I have not actually paid it super much attention to it, um, so I I don't know. Um, but it's kind of cool that someone you had a long time of experience and whatnot with is is possibly going to be mayor of your city. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's that. That was me and Gemma. Oh, she's so great. Anyway. <laughs> um, oh, that's it. So yeah. I mean, I, I just put up some photos, but I think this was the really relevant one. Um, which entered me into ancestry and got me into all this is the discovery of that side of my family. And then, like I said, in this binder, each of the pink boxes is a very, is a self-made autobiography that's detailed and explains. Wow. Like, yeah. And then, um, you know, the, the binder also has sub categories where the family's photos are and talks about a little bit more about what they are and what they do. So I learned a lot about, getting older from reading the biographies and notice patterns, mm. uh, particularly when a parent died or got sick and how siblings stopped talking to each other, which is really tragic. Um, mm. you know, oh, all of, that's recorded too? Well, no, no, it, it's verbal. I'm like, oh, how about this and this uh, cousin? It's like, oh no, they don't talk to each other. It's like, what, why? Well, they had a fallen out when the, the mother was getting ill and people blah, blah, blah. Oh. And how about these? No, they don't talk either. I was like, well, they had to follow it out because of this parent, this and that. I was like, geez. So, so you, like, you learn things, you know, you learn things because you have, you know, you have people that are related to you and stuff happened. So um, yeah, it's cool. Do you want to stop sharing? Oh, screen share. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did I just do that? Yeah. Okay. You did. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. yeah fascinating fascinating story um uh -huh. and you know i i like all the sort of the side trips that we took meandering about different you know subjects and um yeah well thank you so much for doing this yeah. oh so you you did want to talk about your paternal grandmother i think yes paternal grandmother oh. in her story. That's going to be long. That's long. Right, yeah. right. Do you want to do you want to come back and talk about her at another time? You can do because, that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely got to. Yeah, we're an hour over. I think our time frame right now. But um, um, yeah, yeah. But, I might uh, I might have to cut this episode into two parts because the, the platform. <laughs> no, the platform I use, I use to upload the, the thing. Like if it's over 
three hours. Yeah. It, it actually says the file is too large. It's so like okay. yeah. Okay. And I'm, whatever you want to do. It's okay. I, yeah. I, it's, it, I I appreciate our 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 meandering conversation. It's kind of fun. We we talked a lot about like yeah, digital the implications of technology, which was not anticipated. I thought we were going to talk about grandfather, but um, no, no, it, it's cool. It's cool. I I I just I, I'm very into podcasts. I'm like that. That is actually the backbone of what fueled Andrew's success in the early presidential campaign. Yes, right? definitely. Alternative media. Yeah. Because the other media were asking him to like, you know, pay for ads and sponsors. And he was just like, no, I'm going to get my message out through other means like Joe Rogan and yeah. others. I think the first podcast he did was Sam Harris and oh, Sam, Sam Harris introduced him to Joe Rogan. And then after that, like it just uh, um, uh, snowballed from there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's cool. I mean, now it's another version of how the energy could not have been a legitimate candidate prior yeah. to that, you know? And so um, I love this. I love how this is why I'm very hopeful and I maybe I'm seeing the positive sides of this technology and what it's doing. But, um, you know, it, it's it's sort of like I always dream that the West was still open, you know, the, the, the historic physical landscape of the West. This is this American dream where the people from the East, the crowded East move West and have a new frontier for exploration and stuff like that. Like for me, the West is digital, not mm -hmm. person. There's so much wild West going on with this stuff. Definitely. That that's, that's what it is now that, that hope that I would take a horse and carriage and go off and explore and find like Yosemite and Yellowstone and all these great, that's, that's not there anymore. It's the digital domain that's really creating possibilities that's really wide, wide open, particularly if VR and AR become more developed. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about that as something to look forward to. It's really cool. And this is, you know, honestly, this is an example of that too. So thank you for inviting yeah. me, JJ. Yeah, this this was so much fun and uh, and unexpected. I I was actually surprised that you responded like that quickly. I'm like, okay, cool, no, that's I, awesome. <laughs> I learned that working with Andrew, you got to respond immediately. You know, yeah, like got to respond like you know, um, you know, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's been fun. I I uh, you know, I I, I hope I, I think well. It'd be good to hear your stories too. Let's just say that, um, and hopes at some point you you know you're able to do that. So. Um, yeah, yeah, this is something everyone should do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have, I, I actually, I don't know if I actually have a scheduling break, but I do, I, I intentionally created a scheduling break in late, I think the last week in May where I'm going to interview myself. So <laughs> See, <laughs> where only, I, where, only technology makes that possible. <laughs> yeah, where I get to tell my side of the story. So it'll be my the the podcast me interviewing the musical me. And then, you know, the musical me will also ask questions to the podcast me. So it'll be like back and forth. Yeah, it's gonna, I hope, I don't know. I think uh, at the worst, it'll be goofy. <laughs> you, you might want to, you can make it interactive and have people like, ask you questions and like you, you have to draw um, it out of a hat if you want to do it that way because no i don't i think i'll do that maybe a little down the road i mean uh, part of the reason why this is recorded is like i don't think i'm quite ready yet to like uh interact directly with the audience um because I, I i'm still sort of gating my sea legs you know yeah okay into this whole thing and so i think at some point uh, down the road, um, this, these won't be pre-recorded. It'll be actually live streamed. I don't know. Oh, I'll cool. have to figure that out. Yeah. 
or cool. maybe some of it will be live streamed and some of it will be pre-recorded who knows but um Exciting. yeah cool. it is yeah. yeah yeah i'm so glad you did this with me thank oh, you so totally, much yeah totally, JJ. yeah and, thank you for inviting me very yeah uh, and come back anytime open invitation whatever you want to talk about and we could get all like heady too like talk about like all kinds that's awesome and let's let's get the audience up from 11 to like 20. <laughs> you're uh <laughs> everything no it's it's yeah it's fun i like i said any opportunity to connect with people and tell stories for me is always uh fulfilling so yeah thanks for yeah thanks for inviting me and good luck with uh continuing to explore your family history and all that uh i can't i mean if it does become a book or a movie or something i can't wait to see it um that'll sure. be awesome yeah, uh, the big thing to explore it, it's not as much the document or the screenplay of my grandmother's story it's the it's the mystery around the origin story of my family because um, we, we still believe my great grandfather, uh, my great grandmother was at the housekeeper in my great grandfather's house and he was actually married to someone else. And the reason we came to America on that side was because of the shame. That's which is probably a very common, no, it's, it's so common. Oh, I mean, really? Come on. Oh, are you kidding? If you ever do the ancestry stuff. <laughs> First of all, ancestry in, in this country is, is the domain of Mormons. It's like a Utah Mormon thing. They're mostly really into that space for some reason. There's something cultural that they do it. Huh. But but if you just if you just do that, there's a site where it's like people who did their genetic test and realized they're not actually the child of certain parents that they thought were their parents. Just as common is the story of like, you know, family members who you know, the reason they came to America was through the reasons that I just said, like, you know, mm. oh, he got, she got the housekeeper pregnant and that's my great grandmother. And they had to come to America because they needed to leave that part of Japan because yeah. it was too scandalous, right? So I don't know for sure, but there's a way we can sort of, I can figure that out, but I haven't been able to go to uh, that part of Japan to like dig up documentation. Um, but, you know, it, it just makes life fun, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's cool. I mean, it's the past. I I, I want to also focus on my future, but to to understand the origin story of your entire line in America is still very meaningful and rich for me. So I want to. Yeah. Well, you're you're fourth generation in, so I mean, me. They count I'm, it differently, though. They count it. Japanese count it differently. We're, um, we're by we're third by many more gener like normal counts because the first generation is usually the first born here. But in Japan, it's the first person generation to come here. Right, right. Yeah. That that's how we count it too. Uh, yeah, I think so I'm third by your counting. Um, oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay, you're third generation American. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm first generation um, immigrant because I I was actually not born here, so I'm first right. generation. Yeah. Right. My nieces and nephews they're second generation. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, but still, yeah, third generation. Cool. Yeah. But anyway. Cool. All right, um, got to run, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, well, did you have some final thing? One quick thing. I, I, I've been asking my guests to do this. So yes. would you tell the audience to subscribe to my channel? Oh, yeah. Uh, please subscribe to Beer Beer Cake, JJ Co's awesome podcast channel. Um, is there a click somewhere on this on the on yeah, because this will be a YouTube, so it'll be, you know, subscribe. Oh, oh, yeah, subscribe, click here to get to keep up to date on new episodes coming forward. So uh, please do that. And, and JJ will continue to bring the goods.
All right. Thank you so much, hey. Eddie Shiomi. Thank you. All right, And uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch. We'll talk. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye.